What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human beings too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how many years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual combo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. We are so grateful that you're here. So if you enjoy this podcast and want to connect further, we invite you to follow along on Instagram at what the actual fork pod and subscribe, rate and review our podcast so we can continue to share this message with more and more people. Now let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork Podcast. This is your solo host, Sam Previtt, here today, missing my co-host, Jenna Warner, who is out on maternity leave with her beautiful baby boy um, and her other amazing little boy, uh, toddler. So she's got her two boys at home. She has got her hands full and hopefully getting some rest. And while Jenna does that, we're going to still be cranking out some podcast episodes. So today I did a very, very fun episode, but I want to apologize in advance. It probably sounds, at least I sound like this to myself. I feel like I'm like, it sounds like I'm clamping my nose and like pretending to sound like this, but unfortunately... I was sick this weekend. My daughter, for those of you OG listeners who have been listening since last fall, you know that this this podcast has just been a revolving door of sickness with our toddlers. And lo and behold, it is cold and flu season again. And nevertheless, my toddler brought home a sickness and it has somehow made its way to mama. So I sound way worse than I feel at this point. I think the worst of it was this weekend. Um, But I think it sounds funny, like through my ears, it sounds like I'm plugging my nose, but I'm not. It's just the congestion. So I'm wishing you a very healthy fall. Go get your flu shot. Go get your COVID vaccine. Go get all the things you need, your Zycam, your hydration, you know, your your Dayquil, your NyQuil, your Mucinex. Those are not sponsors of the podcast, but they feel like they might be helpful. So, okay. Let's get into what today is about, though. Um, I am so excited for today's episode because this is something that truly nobody talks about. And so when Leah Kern came to me with this pitch for today's episode, I was like, hell yes, I want to do that because no one's talking about it. And as a certified intuitive eating counselor myself, it's not that I stray away from this topic. I would say I actually don't feel like I got get asked about it a lot, but I definitely have before. And so after having this conversation with Leah, now knowing where I can point people if they need a resource, um, um, I keep like 
gatekeeping the topic from you, but you definitely know what it is because you've clicked this episode and it sure as hell better be in the title. So today's episode is about cannabis and intuitive eating. And we have Leah Kern here. And let me tell you a little bit about Leah. So Leah is an anti-diet dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor who specializes in helping people heal their relationship with food and body. Her approach to coaching is firmly evidence-based, rooted in the health at every size and intuitive eating framework. Her private practice, in her private practice, Leah teaches her clients to harness their body's innate wisdom to govern how they eat and live. Leah believes that the work involved with unraveling years of conditioning in diet culture and learning to come home to one's body is deeply spiritual work and she treats it as such. It is Leah's mission to help her clients make peace with food and body so they can unlock their most aligned and fulfilling lives. I love Leah's body. It is so intentionally written to reflect the human that she is. I had the honor of going on her podcast. She is the host of the Shoulders Down podcast. and She gave me the platform to share my story of how I came to be uh, an intuitive eating counselor as well. And she's just such a beautiful human inside and out and and just is a really, really great at creating a safe space for people to share and, and chat. And so the fact that she is one of the only ones, like if you Google weed and intuitive eating or cannabis and intuitive eating or anything about binging while high, I feel like Leah is one of the only ones that will pop up. And it's really, really cool to see dietitians kind of breaking the shackles of what we're air quotes supposed to talk about and really breaking out of that and giving people the information that they want and need because weed and cannabis is very, very common. And if you do not smoke weed or if you do not use cannabis, like, please know there's nothing wrong with that. This is not like a promotional episode saying you need to do these things. This is a resource for those who do enjoy it, partake in it, use it, whether recreationally, medicinally, however you choose to use it, and are also walking an intuitive eating journey and want to have some tools, have some resources that are going to help you navigate your relationship with food when you are in this heightened, altered state. So... I don't want to give away too much, but Leah gives us like the four main reasons why people binge when high. And then we go through the different solutions for those specific four reasons. And I learned a ton. I thought today's episode was so enlightening. And I'm definitely going to share this with friends and family members who um, use cannabis. And I hope you do too. So uh, if you enjoy this episode, if you want to hear more, please let us know. Rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. Uh, and just enjoy this episode. And again, send it to somebody. If you know somebody that could really use this as a resource, please send it to them. Because the more ears that hear this episode, um, we're just so grateful. And it gets gets to those who need it. So thank you for being here and let's jump into today's episode with Leah. Hi, Leah. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm excited to chat. I know. I feel like, well, we did just get to chat not long ago on the Shoulders Down podcast on your podcast. So now we're doing a pod swap. 
super excited for today's conversation, for the topic. I want to dive in, but before we do that, we have to keep it true what the actual fork podcast style and ask you your what the actual fork moment of the day, week, month. So something related to nutrition, body image, diet culture, BS that stopped you in your tracks and made you say what the actual fork is this. Okay. Yeah. I forgot that you asked this, but I have one that came right to me. I was with my partner's parents handing out Halloween candy the other day. And, um, it like they, it, their friends live on this like super hectic street where they literally get like 500 trick-or-treaters and it's a whole thing there. And so we were out on the front porch, you know, taking a shift. And I I live in the Bay Area in California, which is like an especially wellness area. Um, and I just overheard this little girl be like, I, I guess she saw like Skittles or something. And she was like, red dye is going to be banned in California. And, and, and I was like, oh yeah. And she's like, yeah. Like, and I was like, well, you better get the Skittles now before, before you can't get them anymore then. And she's like, no, because they're bad for you. And I was like, oh really? What, why? And she's like, well, they're going to give you cancer. And just like hearing her like parrot back things that she just had probably. And you know, this girl seemed like she was like six or seven. Um, it was just a moment of like, ugh, like this is being internalized so young and impacting times that are supposed to be joyful, like Halloween. Um, and so, yeah, what the actual fork moment was this little girl, as she was digging through the plastic cauldron on Halloween, having anxiety about what was in her candy. That is so sad to hear because I can't, like, I'm trying to think back to like my youngest Halloween I can remember, or like the first few trick-or-treating experiences I had. And like, can you imagine being a child and that was the narrative in your head? Yeah. It's, it's, and like, at the same time, like I think about what has happened in that child's life where this is a concern. Like maybe she has a parent with cancer or like a really valid reason to be, have health anxiety like that. Mm -hmm. And we know that stressing about what you're eating is not helpful for your health in the long run, especially at that young age and how it could devolve into an eating disorder. So yeah, I couldn't imagine. And it, it just, it was sad. It was like, you know, really kind of putting a negative tone on what's supposed to be a fun and joyful holiday for kids. For sure. And thank you for bringing up that point. That's such a good point that it could be like the fear could be coming from like you said, some exposure to that illness or a loved one with it. Cause my head, of course, with what the work that we do goes straight to like an almond mom. Or like, I think of like that Bobby guy on TikTok who his poor daughter, like he has her front and center in videos being like, this isn't Bobby approved. This is bad. And I just like think of those children that their, their parents are just drilling these messages in. And again, knowing that those parents are unfortunately very disordered. So, um, yeah, that, that would stop me in my tracks as well. But I love that you were like asking her probing questions and like trying to (laughs) encourage her. So that's a, a positive light on that one. I started drinking AG1 daily now, probably 
a year ago. And I'm really excited to share that not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop includes prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes, as well as vitamin C and zinc to help with my immune health. Now, if you are an OG listener of the What the Actual Fork podcast, you know that Jenna and I talk all the time about sickness because we are both mothers to toddlers and Jenna has her new baby. So we're just constantly exposed to sickness. So anything we can do to sneak in a little vitamin C and zinc to help with our immune health, we are huge fans of. And when it comes to supplements, please remember that you want to look for one that is NSF certified for sport, which AG1 is. And that means that a team of doctors and scientists have tested it for 950 contaminants. There are so many supplements out on the market and we cannot stress enough as dietitians that you need to have that NSF certified for sport stamp of approval to make sure that the product maintains the highest quality standards. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I want to give it a try, then please, please, please give AG1 a try and get one free year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. If you go to drinkag1.com forward slash fork, again, that's drinkag1.com forward slash fork and check it out. Well, okay, let's do a complete 180 and get into today's topic, which we're going to talk all things cannabis and intuitive eating. I was so excited when you pitched me this topic because nobody ever has before. And obviously I want to talk about your story and how you kind of got here with it. And as a human being who lives in this world, like I've had a lot of my own experiences with cannabis. I have a ton of loved ones who use it um, medicinal and recreational. So this is, and something I've talked about with them and, and like, I feel like I don't have the answers. So just super, super excited to talk. So let's get into, obviously you are a dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor. What brought you to getting being interested in this topic and what is your personal story to becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor dietitian and now wrapping cannabis in here and kind of specializing in this topic in ways. Yeah. So my story, um, when I was young, I, I really was pretty sheltered from diet culture and disordered eating. I grew up with thin privilege and really, I like to say unearned thin privilege, because I think sometimes saying I, I have thin privilege can sound like you won a prize, but yeah. it's, there's nothing you do to earn that. It, it's, as we know, like much more related to genetics than anything else. And so I had the privilege of not being exposed to unsolicited advice from doctors and loved ones and existed pretty much blissfully in the dark from diet culture up until high school, which is when I started to get interested in wellness. And that was really my way in. I was sort of this like nature, I still am, but some parts of this have changed, kind of like crunchy, hippie, granola girl. That was my my vibe. And that personality can kind of have a pipeline to the wellness world, which 
it, it can also have a pipeline to the cannabis world. There's lots of connections here, but pretty much I started to get interested in eating clean, quote unquote, um, and got influences from kind of all over. Like I was on Tumblr at the time. That was my like social media of choice. Um, I think probably Instagram came uh, up like later high school for me. Um, and also just, yeah, being a person in the world, you know, seeing magazine covers, all the normal things. And the thing that catapulted me into disordered eating that I can look back and clearly identify and pinpoint was reading this one book. And I always hesitate to say the name, but I actually think it's important in the context of my story. So the book was by a doctor who, you know, we now know they don't often have a lot of nutrition training and it was called Eat to Live. And his whole premise was pretty much, it's as simple as that, just eat to live. You should just only crave nutrient dense foods and that should be the end of it. And it was really this like tunnel vision for dietary health that ignored other equally, if not more important parts of health, like eating for pleasure and connection and ritual, culture, all these pieces. And so what happened was I was really ingrained with his philosophy and I was like, that's simple. Like, and I was, you know, parroting his philosophy, like you should just eat to live and started bringing these like very quote unquote clean meals for lunches. Like I grew up in Jersey. My friends would go get bagels when I was a senior in high school. Cause we could go off campus and I would have my like raw spinach leaves and tofu and berries. And of course was applauded for my discipline and, and all that. But what was happening was I, it became like very performative. It was like I was had this role of being this like healthy, crunchy girl, but then behind closed doors, the binges started and I was getting more and more out of control. And I always like to share this story. Um, I worked at Panera Bread through high school mm-hmm. and I used to do the closing shift and we would get to take home pastries that like didn't sell because they were made fresh every day. Yep. And they would donate a bunch, but like there was an insane amount left every night that like the donations couldn't even handle it. And so I'd bring home my pastries. And of course, because I was subscribed to like clean eating, they were off limits. But I, my, I have a twin brother and he would like wait up for me when I got home at night and we would use cannabis and then eat all of the giant pastries and I would feel terrible. And there was this shame, this added layer of shame for me of like, I'm putting out this image of being this crunchy nature, clean Buddha bowl. Like I remember finding that on Tumblr, like Buddha bowls being like, I don't know, some trendy like health food, superfood bowl that was like very aesthetic. But then I'm binging on Panera pastries, getting high with my brother at night. And so it, it, that felt really yucky because I could tell like, there's something wrong. I can't keep up this persona, but I have, there's shame involved in not being able to keep this up because the guy in the book said like, you just shouldn't crave sweets. Sorry. Like it's, it, that's all that there is to it. And of course, as an intuitive eating dietitian, I look back at that book and I'm like, he totally ignored the relational part of food. So I go to college, like so many of us dietitians, I decide to study nutrition from a completely disordered place of like, let me try to perfect this and, and, you know, find the secret answer and all that. And was super blessed to learn about intuitive eating my freshman year of college, which I really recognize is a privilege in so many, so many dietetic curriculums at the time, especially that was like rare. And I went to college in Vermont and I had this great professor who was an intuitive eating counselor, learned about intuitive eating freshman year, realized, oh my God, I'm struggling with disordered eating to that point. I hadn't even had the language for that because everything I was doing was praised. And 
then started my own intuitive eating journey changed my life. The ripple effects were so significant. And I knew that this was the work I wanted to do when I became a dietitian. And to kind of go back to my to the cannabis part of my story, once I did the work on healing my relationship with food and becoming an intuitive eater, the part that took the longest for me was feeling in control around food when I was using cannabis, which was a huge part of my college experience. It's a huge part of the culture in Vermont. And more so than drinking, absolutely, at least in the group that I circled in. And so I was at this point where I was feeling much more peace and control around food when sober, but when high, it was like everything was out the window. Like it, it, and so I was like starting to wonder, like, is this even possible? Like, does, can the intuitive eating skills transfer over when you're under the influence of cannabis? Of course, there was literally nothing on the internet about it. Nothing. I mean, this was also several years ago. So I think weed was a little bit even more taboo. It wasn't as legal in as many States and stuff. Um, and so fast forward to the, the last several, the last few years that I've had my private practice, for whatever reason, the client I the clients I attract um, often also engage in cannabis, and they would bring to me in our one to one sessions like this was a problem for them. It was causing them to feel discouraged because the same thing was happening to them that had happened to me in my story of like, oh my god, I'm feeling so good. The binges are stopping. I'm feeling more peace and control. And then, ugh, when I get high, I feel the same negative impacts of binging again. And so I really started to to realize this needed to be spoken about more and not just in one-to-one sessions. And from my own experience and my experience with several clients who had these same struggles, I started to really iron out, okay, what are the reasons why binging while high is happening? How can we address binging while high and kind of getting it into a more concrete framework that I could share on Instagram, on my podcast, in workshops and that kind of thing. And the response has been so clear that like people have been wanting to hear this. I've heard from so many people, thank you for talking about this. Like I started to think it wasn't even possible to eat intuitively while while high and spoiler alert, it is. It's just, if you don't see anything out there about it, you start to think, well, I guess I just have to choose either I can have cannabis part of my life or I can be an intuitive eater, but eh, don't think I can have both. So that is how I got to this place where I love talking about it. I want to talk about it any chance I get. And my theory on why a lot of dietitians don't talk about it, which maybe you can appreciate, I think as a profession, like stereotypically, we're quite like type A and rule followy, rule follower E. <laughs> and so I think we fear talking about something that's still technically illegal um, in some, in like federally, but in many states it is legal. Um, And I hear that. And I think so many clients need support with it and are either feel shame to not bring it up to their provider um, or they, they bring it up, but don't feel understood because the provider, you know, reasonably so doesn't have training in it. So I've done work on both educating providers and the, the people on the client side. So yeah, that's how we got here. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. There's so many things I, I want to get into from there, but I definitely agree with you. And and I mean this with the utmost respect to dietitians that they are like classically type A. And one of the dietitians on my team, Julie, she's our, our lead dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. We always say when we meet a dietitian, this is the language we use. We're like, was she a front of the class girl uh, or a yes. back, back row, probably skipped class. Cause we always joke how like we didn't go to class because we were the ones partying our asses off. And like, you know, just college was my most disordered time. And we can go over to the shoulders down podcast and listen to my story <laughs> on your podcast. Um, that's where I was, you know, restricting, binging, and abusing alcohol, Adderall, and cannabis in, in very unhealthy ways. Um, so I would love to hear... Okay, so let's talk about why then the top reasons why people binge when they are high. Like what's going on so they can better understand the why behind it. Totally. I love talking about this because... People think the reason why you're binging while high is because of the weed in and of itself. But yeah, we always hear the munchies, right? Yeah. Like that's what we hear. You're gonna yes, get that's what we hear. But here's the thing: if if you're listening to this and weed is part of your life, I'm sure you have that one friend or family member who can smoke weed or have an edible and not feel out of control. So we know that it's not the weed in and of itself, because then right. everyone who would have it would have this experience. And then it leaves us asking, like, okay, well, then what is it? So the, the reasons why you're actually binging while high have much more to do with your relationship with food and the reality that cannabis can bring to the surface underlying disorder in your relationship with food. Okay. And it can manifest in really specific ways. So the first reason I see why people are binging when high is because they're using cannabis as like a permission slip to eat their favorite foods. So there's a lot okay. of this like dialogue of like, well, I'm high, so I get to have the munchy foods. I get to have the Ben and Jerry's or like the sweet, salty combination or whatever it is, because it's like this culturally accepted thing that when you're high, you eat munchy foods. But what happens then, and this isn't dissimilar from what happens in regular life when we see restriction, the brain is like, okay, we can only have ice cream when high. And then there's that last supper mentality when high of like, got to get in all the foods that I want to eat while high before I'm sober and lose that like, quote unquote, socially acceptable excuse. Yes, I can totally see that. And now like thinking about my own personal experience, I do not use cannabis anymore. I haven't for a really long time, but when I did use it frequently, like I said, I was in like the pits of diet culture where my dialogue was absolutely what you were saying, where it was like, that was the permission slip to like, well, I'm high. So I'm going to eat all the carbs and like all of the things. Do you find that? So obviously that's one of like the main reasons. My thought also goes to knowing those who, and this may be a smaller percentage, but maybe that's not the dialogue going on there and in their head and they're really using it for medicinal purposes to numb, to escape feelings of anxiety, you know, PTSD, some of these things. And 
they're just really not in touch with yeah. their cues. So like, can you speak on that at all? Or is that like another subcategory here? Totally, totally. There there are multiple reasons and the whole permission slip one is just one reason. Okay. So what what you're speaking to, I would say is is related to what can happen when using cannabis, which is it can bring to light different emotions that you wouldn't maybe be feeling in your sober state because it does kind of change up the way things are firing in your brain and kind of allows you to access different neural pathways and and just like different emotional states. So if you're using cannabis and you notice that it, it brings up hard emotions, we can see binging in that case because sometimes it can feel easier to turn to food when you're like not sure what you're actually needing. So say you're noticing cannabis is bringing up like feelings of loneliness or, or I don't know, feelings of um, disconnection. Sometimes the brain is like, I don't know what we need. There's something, there's some void. Like we, let's just have food. But the problem is no amount of food is going to fulfill your need for connection or stimulation, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're needing. And that's where we see binging because, you know, suddenly you're at the bottom of the bag and you still haven't gotten that need met because you haven't actually addressed the need. So certainly something that I see is cannabis bringing to the surface hard emotions and then the experience of trying to use food to to meet an unmet need or to fill a void that no amount of food is actually going to fill. That makes total sense. Total sense. So any other top reasons why we see that kind of binging munchy um, behavior, if you will? Yeah, I would say there's two other reasons. One is that sometimes, and I think this happens um, in, again, also this is not a reason that's like so dissimilar from regular intuitive eating kind of advice, but something that can happen with cannabis is this like dialogue around, I want to save up my eating for when high of like, ooh, this, I want to capitalize on the experience of heightened senses and save up my eating for when I'm under the influence. So then what we're seeing is is a little bit of a pendulum swing, like entering into the cannabis experience extra hungry. And so then of course, what's going to happen is that it's going to whack in the other direction and you're setting yourself up for that compensatory eating to end up past the point of comfortable fullness. And I mean, we can go into how you address these after, but like that one is not rocket science, right? Like enter the experience baseline nourished. So you're not already setting yourself up to feel out of control. And another thing in the mix with that reason is that our body cues can feel different when we're in an altered state. So for most people, they have much more practice knowing, oh, that's what fullness feels like. That's what hunger feels like. That's what comfortable fullness feels like. Oh, I just reached the last bite threshold. Like much more practice experiencing attunement in a sober state and much less practice experiencing it when high because you probably are high less often than you're sober. So this can just bring about like a little bit of a learning curve of, oh yeah, like when I'm high, actually, this is how fullness manifests for me, or this is how the last bite threshold manifests for me. That can take time. And that's another reason why we see binging while high is just because you're not used to, even if you're really working on your intuitive eating skills, you're probably mostly working on them when sober and you're not used to kind of transferring over the dropping in and and the attunement in the high state. That makes so much sense because I feel like so much of this is, like you said, like certain skills that we practice 
in everyday intuitive eating. And then it's like, okay, if we are high, then it takes so much more intention to really like come back to our body. Like, and like you said, because we're going to be in this like altered state. So obviously we just ran through so many different reasons why people binge when high. So I would love to hear from you, like the tangible steps to stop and, and not even stop. I hate using the word stop binging. I actually have like a, a training coming up and it was like, it was named a long time ago. And I feel like stop binging makes people feel like, ah, not allowed to eat food. <laughs> I, I, I like to say to de- decrease the magnitude and the frequency of binging. I actually have I this right that. here. People aren't going to be able to see it on the podcast, but have you ever seen this like way of... Um, so, okay, I'm holding up two different graphs. And the first one is when you start your intuitive eating journey, it's like the binges are intense and they are often. But yeah. then this is the second graph is the the binges, like the magnitude is lower and they're more spread out. So like that's yeah. realistic healing. And I always love this image. Not that people listening can hear it, but I think we described it in a way. It's kind of like a like an old fashioned telephone cord, like pulling it to become less coiled. That's yeah. like, that's the image. Yes. I love that. And I just think it it sets us up for like realistic expectation because I do think people think they're going to become an intuitive eater and like life's going to be perfect and they're never going to, you know, eat to a place of unpleasantness ever again when it's like, nope, that's just a part of being human. Totally. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I would say the last big reason I see people binging while high is because of the reality that your senses are altered and food really can feel more pleasurable. Our senses are heightened. So because of that, when there's heightened pleasure, it can be especially sad to stop because it's like, it feels so novel and exciting. And I think of what Elise Rush teaches, the concept of the sadness of saying enough, which is like that moment when you notice that you're full and you're grieving because it's been fun to eat and it feels sad to put it down, but it's kind of like a catch 22 because if you stop eating, you have to feel sad. If you continue eating, you're going to feel uncomfortable because you're going to go past the point of comfortable fullness. And when cannabis is in the the mix, that sadness can feel even more profound because the pleasure can feel even more profound. Okay. Wait, I love this and I'm so happy you brought it up. And I want to stay here for a second because this is where I think people get confused and think, well, isn't that restricting if I say no, like, right. And I make myself stop. So can I have an answer, but I want to hear your beautiful, eloquent way of like (laughs) talking about how that is, why that is not restriction, what you just said. Well, it's, it's not restriction simply because you have autonomy, like in that moment where you notice I'm getting full. It feels sad to think about stopping eating because this is so pleasurable, which by the way is so valid because in life, it's sad as a human being when anything pleasurable comes to an end and food is no different. It's not dramatic to feel sad and you do not have to stop. You're you're allowed to say, okay, I'm sad and I don't want to feel the sadness. I want to just keep eating. And that is a perfectly valid choice. 
However, if you are, the further you are along in your intuitive eating journey, the more practice you get in, in considering, okay, and kind of weighing your options. And you might think, you know, I actually have like a lot left to do in the day and feeling physically uncomfortable in my body because I've eaten past fullness won't, isn't really like the feeling I'm going for today. And so I am going to remind myself I can eat this food that I'm sad to stop any other time. And then, you know, I, I can know that the sadness will pass and it will, it will pass in, in, in probably a few moments. Whereas the feeling of being physically uncomfortable will probably take a few hours or even like a day, like sometimes in the case of that, like food hangover. So you have autonomy to choose. And as an intuitive eating dietitian, I've totally chosen I'm I'm going past fullness right now. Like, but those are mm-hmm. usually times when I'm like, I can go home, put on my sweats, veg out, and not typically times where it's like, okay, I, I want to feel energized and comfortable because I can see like whatever I, else I have going on in the day. It we won't feel supportive to me to to be in that uncomfy state. I love that. Thank you so much for walking us through that. So let's talk about tangible solutions that can help people manage the binge eating while high. Yeah. So we'll just kind of go in the same order, like reason why you might binge while high, solution to that reason. Because as you pointed out earlier in the episode, the reasons can really vary depending on the person. So I would say the first step here is identifying which one of those reasons resonates for me and my story. And then kind of like Match it to the family little chart. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We have a nice little chart. Okay, so first reason, again, it's not like a super hot take. The first reason why people binge while high is that permission slip, like using the cannabis experience as a permission slip to eat your favorite foods. So if this is what you notice is going on for you, I would look at what are the foods that I'm binging on while high and how can I incorporate those when I'm sober as well. So this really shows your brain like, look, these foods aren't special. They're not on a pedestal. You're not like, there was literally a snack called munchies that had like sun chips and Doritos and pretzels. And like my friends and I used to eat munchies while we were high because that's what we did. And makes sense. Yeah. And and does like really appeal like the different, like a bite of a pretzel and then yeah, a cheesy the Dorito and like that kind of variation. So I would look at what am I feeling out of control around when high and how can I incorporate that more into my day-to-day sober life to signal to my brain, like this isn't the last opportunity you have to, to eat it. It's a regular food that's allowed anytime. I love that. And I think people might come to find like if they do eat I don't know if let's say cookies is the thing they usually eat while high. It's like, oh, well, if I have a few cookies after my lunch or, you know, whenever during the day, if you, if you are usually using cannabis at night when you get home from work and, you know, are in a safe space, then it's like, oh, I'm actually not even craving cookies right now because I already had them, but I want something else. And so it might open up new opportunities to find a, a new snack that we enjoy too. Exactly. Yeah. I'm really glad you added that. Yeah. And then the second reason is that reason of like saving up eating for when high. And again, I I kind of said this earlier, we want to make sure you're entering into the the cannabis experience nourished, having having eaten throughout the day. And honestly, I, I think for people who are newer on their intuitive eating journey, entering into the cannabis experience like full could be useful because when you are in a state where you have to make a decision about a meal, that's like a lot of thinking and figuring out and then being in an altered state. It's a lot. It's a lot of decisions. If you are just making a decision about a snack, that might feel a little bit more accessible. But if you're just trying to build that momentum and 
um, kind of keep that, that what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. I guess build the momentum in and like self-efficacy in your own intuitive eating journey. And you don't want to be set back. Then it might make sense for you to just kind of like leave eating while high until you're at like a more advanced place in your intuitive eating journey. And again, if you're like, that's restriction, then maybe that's not the tip for you. But I I definitely have seen for some of my clients, they find peace in knowing like, it just feels complex to navigate, at least in the beginning of my journey. I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm entering into the experience nourished. I don't even really have to think about it. I love that. I love that. That's a great tip because going into it, knowing and like feeling that fullness before you entered the altered state can really help versus because that, that's definitely a difference than like having a snack, right? Or just like having a little bit. It's that, that I think could be huge. All right. Yeah. So what is our third category solution we got? Okay. So our third category solution is the feeling sad um, or feeling difficult emotions surface and turning to food to fill the void of an unmet need. Okay. So here, you know, this is probably again, pretty similar tips to, I'm not sure the way that you talk about emotional eating. I'm sort of guessing we're aligned on that. Yeah. Um, and so I recommend one identifying, like, what am I actually needing in this moment? Like has the cannabis brought up, um, a feeling I just go to loneliness because it's just an easy example has it brought up a feeling of loneliness? Has has it caused me to reflect and feel a sense of of you know lack of connection? So trying to put words to it, and I recognize that's easier said than done. Sometimes there's just like a sadness, and we're not really sure what it is. But the journey of even trying to ask yourself what it might be is valuable in and of itself. And if you can identify what the need is, then you can look at okay, how can I actually meet the root of this need? So maybe that's. FaceTiming a friend or putting on like a funny comedy show that like you feel connected to the comedian or reading a book that you love and feeling connected to the author, putting on a podcast and feeling connected to the host, any, any form of connection, um, whether it's with someone, you know, or, you know, someone that you virtually know or something like that. And what's important here is this isn't like, Oh, you you want to eat? Call a friend. Like I freaking hate that advice because it's like, no, like that's not going to solve the feeling of like wanting food. So what I always recommend is do both. Like FaceTime a friend and go have a snack. And and so what happens here then is we're not relying on the food to meet the need because we're also doing something that's going to meet the root of the need and we're still allowed to eat emotionally because there's no rules. Um so I think that that can be really supportive. And when it comes to that sadness of saying enough, if like you're feeling especially sad to put down a food that feels especially delicious, um, I think a small distraction can be helpful, especially when you're high. It's like, ooh, like look at this like music, like, oh, okay, now I'm listening to music. And like how quickly you can forget that you were even sad that you, that, you know, the eating was over. Um, So yeah, I'm always hesitant to recommend distraction because I think it can land of like, go for a walk, take a bath. Like it can be so like band-aid for a bullet wound sometimes. Um, But I do think in the case of the sadness of saying enough, it can be, it can be helpful. Well, I think I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think I sometimes also hesitate to give that advice because it feels similar to the diet culture advice that's usually like, get out of the kitchen, right? Right. Shoot some when it's like, but that's not addressing like, what are we actually feeling and what do we need? Where it's just saying like, get out of this environment with the food and don't eat. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, I actually have a question with this kind of third situation we're talking about. We talked about hard emotions, right? And how using food to cope. I want to point out, at least in the like intuitive eating framework, we also talk about using food with positive correlated emotion. So for example, like celebratory. Mm. So this might be a little different than like saving the eating for the the high because maybe we ate dinner. Maybe we know we're like comfortably full, but it's like, I'm gonna, like I'm ending my day. I have my cannabis and I'm like celebrating with food. So how would you respond to that situation? Mm. I love this question. Yeah. So again, coming back to autonomy of like, there's no rules. Just because you're entering full doesn't mean you can't eat. This isn't the hunger fullness diet. What I like to, to think about there is how can we still allow you or not even allow because they don't like that word, but how can we still give you an opportunity to enjoy the experience of eating while high, unwinding with food and cannabis and experiencing that heightened senses, which we'll get into but not leave you feeling uncomfortably stuffed. And this is where I think about um, foods that maybe aren't as energy dense. And this is not, and you know, big disclaimer here, intention is everything. It's not like I'm doing this to be good or save calories, but it's, I'm doing this because eating sounds fun and I don't want to end up physically uncomfortable. So something like popcorn, like I love like a popcorn and frozen fruit combo snack sometimes when I'm high because it's like sweet, savory, and neither is so energy dense versus like a Reese's peanut butter cup situation, which don't get me wrong, love that while I'm high too, but it's much more energy dense because, you know, peanut butter is um, more fat, which again, that's a neutral fact. It's not good or bad, but with intuitive eating, we're always thinking about how do I want to feel? And if you don't want to feel physically uncomfortable, then we want to think about, okay, what what is a less maybe energy dense food that will still allow me to engage in eating, but maybe not... um, land me in a situation where I feel uncomfortably full. I love that. And I was excited to see where you were going to take that. And I think that that gets my head into the thought of like getting really present in the eating experience, because if that's what we're doing, we're like heightening our senses and it's like the eating is really exciting. It's like, how many different textures can we get? Like thinking about how different a piece of popcorn is with like the crunch versus a Reese's or even like a carrot, right? With like a dip or something where that is giving you two textures, like one super crunchy and one smooth and creamy. And like how those textures could probably, they're probably gonna be even more enhanced because of the heightened senses. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and this, the question you asked like very beautifully connects to the last tip for, um, how to navigate binging while high. So the last reason while binging while high happens is because the reality is, yeah, your senses are heightened. Like I'm not going to sit here and be like, 
let's just leave that out of the conversation. It is part of what's going on. And so this is my favorite, like hot tip. This is the one tip that is really not transferable to regular intuitive eating and is really unique to the cannabis experience. So I like to think about, okay, if you like to eat when high because your senses are heightened, great, totally reasonable, understandable. It's fun. It's novel. But I think that often what we're craving is experiencing our heightened senses and we forget that we have other senses besides the sense of taste. So I love to recommend to people to explore the experience of other senses that are heightened when high. That could mean massage, like self-massage or like Theragun, massage gun, massage from a partner. Um, It could mean pleasure, like intimate pleasure with a partner, self-pleasure. It could mean dance, like putting on music and dancing. Like I especially feel like in my body and feel the music when high. And that's like really fun and different. Um, It could mean taking a hot shower, hot bath, or having a hot cup of tea or lighting a candle or having incense and really experiencing that heightened sense, whether it's, you know, taste, touch, smell, sound, whatever it is. And for so many people who I work with that, and for me too, that is actually what we're craving underneath the desire to eat when high is the desire to revel in the heightened senses. I love those tips. I think that's so helpful because like you said, that's that's not something that we're taught in intuitive eating, obviously. No, yeah. because <laughs> They're like, here's like, what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think and that just makes so much sense. Um, so I love these tips and I'm definitely going to be sharing these with family and friends and and those who engage with cannabis. Um, so I would love to hear for you, like there's we have a lot of providers out there. We have a lot of certified intuitive eating counselors out there. So how can we as providers help destigmatize cannabis and give clients the safe space to open up? Yeah. Well, I think it starts with conversations like this and that can help them feel seen of like, okay, like I'm not crazy. Like there's, there's people talking about this. And also in like group coaching settings or memberships, bringing in people who who talk about this. So it's like, you know, helping them feel seen because I really think it's a privilege to ignore a topic like this because as you pointed out, for some people it's recreational. For other people, it's part of their pain management. It's part of yep. their PTSD or mental health management. And for those people, it can be so devastating to have something that can be such an incredible tool yet cause them so many unintended side effects of, of binging that are really avoidable when, when you talk about it and work through it. Um, so that's the first thing is, is like doing exactly what you're doing, I think is, is like so helpful for, for your community to, to just see like, that this is, I'm not crazy. And I can see myself in, you know, being represented in this conversation, a small tip that I think actually goes a long way. And, I, and I've done this since the start with my one-to-one clients is if you have an intake form you where you ask clients like basic information, having a line where it's like, do you use cannabis? You might ask, do you use alcohol? Do you use cannabis? So that they can self-disclose it without it having to be like a thing they verbally have to come out with. Yeah. And then it just opens up the conversation for their provider to to keep that in mind. Like if they're having big binges on the weekend, you know, asking casually, oh, was cannabis part of your weekend so that you can get a sense of, is this at play without them, you know, having to have them be the one to like say it, if that feels uncomfortable. Makes total sense. Um, I love that. I think these are all really easy, um, 
applicable things that we can do as providers. And we definitely have cannabis on our intake form. So I'm happy to check that Yay. box. We have you on our podcast right now. Let's check that box. Amazing. Um, and just keep these conversations going because as it becomes legal, again, from the, the recreational and medicinal I think it's being used more and more widespread for so many great reasons. So ways that intuitive eating and cannabis can both be used together in harmony is is a, a very positive thing. Yeah. Um, I, I just oh, also want to add, Sam, quick, don't assume, like, I think so many people assume of like, oh, my demographic, they don't use cannabis. And like, I have clients who you probably wouldn't guess use cannabis. Like, you know, a, a woman with two children who cannabis is part of her life and yeah. she doesn't even live in a state where it's legal. So, you know, it's like people think, oh, it's not California, like forget it. But don't assume um, because you really, you really don't know. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because I think it's so easy to be like, I guess I'm thinking because it is medicinal here in Florida and so many people use like with their car, their med cards and whatnot, that's where my head goes. But it's like, well, it wasn't always medicinal here and it was still everywhere. Right. So it's like, it does not have to be. So thank you for saying that because, um, that is very, very true. So let's say people are listening to this and they're like, okay, well, I want to have a conversation with Leah because I just heard all of this information and I want to talk to her and learn more. So where is the best place that they can find you? Yeah. So the best place right now um, is to, okay, I'm pairing back on social media. I haven't like said it to have, I'm moving out of the social media space, which feels terrifying. And I've only kind of said it a few times, but for now that works, but in a few months it won't. So you can find me, um, you can connect with me through my podcast, Shoulders Down Podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, my uh, newsletter, which you can subscribe to from my website, my website, which is leokernrd.com. And then I'd love to share a personal plug if it's okay. Please do. Okay. Yeah. So I started sharing some personal writing that's kind of beyond the scope of food and body image and intuitive eating because I love writing. And I have a Substack, um, leokern.substack.com, and I share writing about things besides just food and body because I'm really into this idea right now that like I don't just have to be an intuitive eating dietitian, and you know we're dynamic human beings with more than one interest. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm excited to check it out, and thanks so much for being here today, Leah. Thanks for having me, Sam. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all of your friends and faves, and don't forget to rate and review and let us know what you want to hear more of. The more we hear from you, the more that we can make these episodes exactly what you want. We would also love to connect with you on Instagram at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next week for more fun.